Welcome to Running It Back. Mike Palmer here, joined by Tarlin Ray. Tarlin, first off, I just want to say, really enjoy doing these shows with you. Thanks for joining. What's going on with you? It's always great to be able to see someone when they say that, because you don't know whether or not they're actually telling the truth. So I feel like it's like half truth. So I appreciate that. The other thing is, as we do this, I'm thinking about Aaron Rodgers, Mm. who's the guest host of Jeopardy. You don't realize that as a Jeopardy host, he may film 10 shows in a day. Yeah. For those of you listening right now, you're experiencing Mike and I doing our second show. Yeah, we're primed. Whether or not we, on the same day. So 7.30 a.m. on the West Coast, Mike's been up for hours. Yeah. And let's see whether or not we can still bring the heat for a second show in a row. Well, we got a little lather going. We got a little bit of flow already. Now we're kicking it into overdrive. And my God, is this something to talk about? Because I got to say, I think we both were watching this live back in 2004 for whatever reason. And I remember it had a profound impact on me at the time, but I hadn't really gone back and experienced the full run of what happened at the Palace in Auburn Hills back in 2004, Indiana Pacers versus the Detroit Pistons, famously named the Malice in the Palace. There's a lot going on. That's something to watch. We're going to try to break down both what's it like to watch it, what was the emotional experience, any of our personal reflections or, or, or perspectives on lessons learned from the actual malice in the palace. But we wanted to connect that to some of what we've been seeing lately in 2021, which is the unruly fans who are disrespectful of the players to the point of approaching some sort of physical confrontation, whether it's throwing a water bottle, popcorn, spit, whatever. That's ultimately what precipitated the malice in the palace. But man, oh man, Malice in the Palace is something to talk about. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to start? You you and I are Hoops fans. Last summer in the bubble, we ran it back partially, but we were covering sports live. Yeah, We still like to run it back. But the six incidents that have happened recently in the NBA had us both texting back and forth, needing to talk about the Malice in the Palace. And so for those of you who aren't following what's happening in the NBA, one... A fan threw popcorn on Westbrook. By the way, if you look up fan interactions of Russell Westbrook, he has more incidents where fans are going crazy. It's unbelievable mm. the amount of hate and how people are completely disrespectful to that guy. Two, Nick's fan spits on Trey Young. Yeah. I, I want to say that again. Nick's fan. Are you a Nick's fan? I am, spits, in fact, I'm still in I'm still in mourning. Yes, I am a Nick's fan. Yes. A fan throws a bottle at Kyrie. Yeah. Fan rushes the court on the 76ers Wizards game. Yeah. John Morant's family is harassed by fans in the stands at the Jazz game. Racist and sexist insults with yeah. his parents just sitting there. In Utah, the site of the poison pizza from Jordan's flu game, which is a, a separate topic. Check out our flu game episode uh, if you're curious about that. And Emmanuel quickly uh, on the other side of Nick's player gets a beer thrown on him. Yeah. So what is happening? Hmm. Listen to Kevin Durant. Yeah. His take on what, what's going on with the fans. This is 39 seconds of glory. Kevin Durant not being surly, but actually really making some 
pointed comments about what's happening with fans and how they should treat people. I mean, fans got to grow up at some point. I know that being in the house for a year and a half with the pandemic got a lot of people on edge, got a lot of people uh, stressed out. But when you come to these games, you got to realize, man, these men are human. We're not animals. We're not in a circus. You coming to the game is not all about you as a fan. So have some respect for the game. Have some respect for these human beings. And have some respect for yourself. Your mother wouldn't be uh, proud of you throwing water bottles at, at basketball players or spitting on players or tossing popcorn. So grow the f*** up and enjoy the game. It's bigger, than, it's bigger than you. So I think Kevin put it together in a way I'd never seen before. We've talked about press conferences on previous shows. To me, this was the best soundbite I've ever seen from Kevin Durant. I think he was speaking for not just himself. I think he was speaking for everyone. He wasn't just speaking about athletes. I think he was speaking about recognizing the common humanity that I think is lost in some ways, and especially in these tumultuous times. But then also, if you take it back to the malice in the palace, there was a lot of hate and vitriol between these two teams to the point where they just really didn't like each other. And I think that cascaded out into the stands. And if you think about the general spirit of the times today, if you go back to 2004 Detroit, there was probably a little bit of unrest in, in the room, in the audience to begin with. And then when they saw what was happening on the court, I think it triggered something in them. What Durant is talking to here is broader than just what might be localized to Detroit and was the malice in the palace. And it's more something we're going to continue to watch really throughout the rest of the playoffs, which is will people get it together when they're back in these public settings? And then will they remember that this is a game that we're here to just enjoy together? And it's not about you. It's not about you getting on camera, which is another thing that historically these folks have gotten maybe a little more notoriety, fame. The fact that people even talk about them is in some ways a motivator to act out. I think there's a lot to be learned from KD. I don't know if you have any thoughts on what he just had to say. Yeah, he is parroting a little bit also what his teammate has said, Kyrie, and saying that this is not a human zoo. And he was making some of those comments as he was returning to Boston, hoping that and as he said, we can keep the subtle racism in, mm. in check. Mm -hmm. um, I read an article recently and said, hey, if you go to a movie and you don't like the movie, do you start throwing bottles at the screen? Or if you go to a concert and your favorite singer flubs, do you rush the stage or start throwing popcorn? Yeah. So as you were just talking, I was almost picturing some of those old movies and it's almost the Colosseum like yes. uh, uh, warriors in the Colosseum. And if your favorite guy doesn't make the kill, don't, doesn't do what you want, the booing and the things that would be thrown into the arena, mm -hmm. it feels the same. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just interesting why. Yeah. So we have a lot tied up into sports. I'm one that can be pissed at my team. But then to take that out in a way where you feel like you have a privilege or you feel like you own the player in a way that you can do whatever, that you can say whatever you want, you can double barrel, the, the, you have pictures of guys with the middle fingers, like just yelling at players. What is that about? Yeah. Taking road rage and just sticking it in the arena with a bunch of people that feel like in the same way, the same people who will troll 
in anonymity yeah. online, they feel like they don't ever have to do that in the stadium or in a, in a ballpark as long as they're wearing the jersey of their team. Yeah. So it's yeah. It, it's concerning in the sense that we've all been turned a little more feral in the last year. We've all been shut off from other humans, maybe not held accountable for our state of dress or yeah, hygiene 15, 15 straight days in sweatpants our, our, our self-care may not be it's it's thriving in certain ways but in terms of social norms we don't necessarily know what to do and then we're back in these aggregate settings and there is an emotion that you get in an aggregate setting which does seem amazing which is the other thing uh, as a knicks fan i will say thank god the garden is back madison square garden rocking when the knicks are playing is something that is just good for basketball. It's good for America. It's good for me. So I just wanted, I just wanted to say that. And then at the same time, while I'm on that note, the surveillance world that we live in captured the fact that Trey Young had a, someone spitting on him. Terrible. Don't spit on players. It's a terrible thing. I'm going to hazard to guess this is not the first time an unruly fan has spat on a player. Oh, no way. It is probably the first time there was this much of a spot shadow, or perhaps we should call it a spit shadow of <laughs> this action. But the media is looking for it. We are talking about it. We're feeding the flames a little bit as part of this conversation. So I think there's a little bit of putting it into perspective. But that was the other thing I did want to touch on is watch the malice in the palace, because that does put in perspective what's happening today versus what can happen. And what can happen is a really scary, violent malay. It's a brouhaha, it's a fracas, it's a lot of really good words. But the malice in the palace, their players were running into the stands to protect Ron Artest, but Ron Artest was looking to find the guy who just threw the, the beer at him. Was it a beer or is it a Pepsi? I think it might have been a Pepsi. So it was a Diet Coke. It's a Diet Coke. Okay, shout out to uh, Diet Coke potential <laughs> sponsor. But when it hit him, he runs up into the stands and he's running up there as a man who just got hit by another man in a cowardly way. And it was also as a bigger athlete who can hold this, this person accountable in a very human to human representing Queensbridge, representing St. John's true warrior Ron Artest was not going to let either Ben Wallace punk him or this fan in the stands punk him. And, and Steven Jackson went out there with him again, as a man who was protecting his buddy, who's running out and ready to square off. So very different from I'm going to rub my foot on the Celtic and you're going to throw a water bottle at me and we're going to have a press conference about it. It's more like madness and not the good kind of court madness. It wasn't in March. Things are crazy. And there's an order of magnitude to the malice in the palace that is cautionary. But I also think it's different in that today's game is a lot of hold me back. Don't let me hit somebody. Ben Wallace and Ron Artest, if people didn't hold them back, talk about a pay-per-view. That would have been ugly, but people might have wanted to see it. Yeah, so couple. Dudes like Jay Crowder could play back in the mid 2000s. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he's a likes to fight guy, but I think we need to level set the malice in the palace. So it's a early season game. It's in November. Pacers and Pistons are good teams. The game is over. It is 40 plus seconds left. 
I think it's 97 to 82 was the score. Yeah. yeah. Ron Artest, hard foul on Ben Wallace. Hard foul. And there's some shoving that happens, some pushing. Back then, like it could have gotten into something, but the players were jawing each other. And Ron Artest backs away after making the hard foul and is laying on the scores table, just calming himself down. He's got his you know feet one leg over, over his yeah. knee. At one point, he puts on uh, the headphones of the announcer, pretending like he's going to do something, lays back down, and then a fan, John Green, and granted, after this game, they still sell alcohol, but they put a limited amount of alcohol you can sell in the arena. Yeah. John Fan gets challenged, bet by a stranger, so whether or not, 50 bucks, whether or not he could hit Ron Artest with his Diet Coke. That's how it started. And he hit him. And the guy, the stranger who made the bet after he hit him threw his hand up because, oh, I lost the bet. And Ron Artest went to go get that guy. Oh my God. And so I still remember, like, why am I watching this late? It's November, which means I'm, I was living in Boston, Newton at the time. It's cold. The younger kids probably just got in the bed. All right, I'll just have this game on in the background. And then you just start seeing this rumbling and just a mass movement up into the stands. Now, Ron Artest said, I was not going up there to hurt him. I was going to go shake that guy down. Yeah. Steven Jackson went up there to try yeah. to pull Ron Artest out because you said, you can see I'm in a row above him trying to pull him down. But as soon as punches are thrown, yeah, you got to start, yeah, I'm, I'm going to protect myself. Steven Jackson, Ron Artest, Ben Wallace, Rashid Wallace also on the Pistons at the time. Those are some tough players. Those are some all-time, don't, don't mess with me. Yeah, and I think that was part of why coming out of the 90s, that era of basketball where basketball was closer to a brawl frequently, and that's also the pedigree of the Bad Boys Pistons back in the day. Basketball had a reputation in the, the 80s into the 90s. It started to wind down, but these were the two toughest defensive teams, two of the most physical teams with the toughest players in arguably the toughest city in North America with fans who've had a lot to drink in a game that the home team is losing and our test a notoriously tough, arguably dirty player, hard foul on the defensive player of the year, legendary piston Ben Wallace, who comes back hard, ready to throw down. And it could have gotten bad, but to your point, the players handled it. There's an amazing interview dan patrick interviews reggie miller about his experience with this reggie was injured at the time but him and chuck person were the two guys who went out into the stands to actually get ron off the court and reggie says it's one of the few times he really saw the whites of someone's eyes to the point that he didn't know he could get him back under control it's some intense stuff not only go in the stands but then they get the players back on the court and there are more fans that they yeah. come onto the court thinking that they're going to fight. Yeah. So it, it got out of control. And so you use the Malice of the Palace as a moment. Listen, Ron Artest was crushed. He yeah. lost a year of salary. Mm -hmm. All of his endorsements went away. He never yeah. got an endorsement again. He ended up changing his name to Metal World Peace. His true warrior hip hop label, though, he was trying to maybe this helped move some records, although his hip hop career also did not take off. But, but he did need to tap into 
some of his mental health issues and other things, but he still to this day believes he was truly the scapegoat. The funny line when Ron Artest, Steven Jackson, and they're in the locker room and Ron Artest looks over and asks, you think we get in trouble for this? <laughs> Steven Jackson says, we may not have a job. Yeah. Like, yeah. And there's, there's some amazing elements. I mean, it's like the Zapruder film. It's JFK getting shot. There's, it's hard to get the right angle yep, on. Yep. And then, and at the same time, if you can try to listen to the actual call of the game, which I believe is Mike Breen and Bill Walton, the level of shock and shame that you hear from Bill is just priceless. So again, the remove of time makes this stuff a little less scary, but I think just refreshing it for your own memory so that it's top of mind, because I guess there's a chance this could happen nowadays, but I just think it's a different era. But I will say bad things can happen. So things can go the wrong way. And as I was looking at the malice in the palace, I was thinking about Monica Sellis. And Monica Sellis, for those who don't know, nine-time major champion winner in tennis. As a teenager, she won eight of 10 Grand Slams. So she was, at one point, she won 23-month span where she won 33 of 34 finals. Hmm. And in that span, guess who she was beating? Steffi Graf. Hmm. She took three major championships away from Steffi. And people believed that she was that dominant. She hit so hard. She was one of the hardest hitters and people hadn't seen seen someone hit so hard. Mm -hmm. Two-handed backhands. And then her grunting versus Steffi's grunting. That's goat. That's goat grunting. It's it's a grunt off. But people don't remember the fan interaction where we had a crazed fan who loved Steffi Graf Mm -hmm. in a tournament in Germany that came out of the stands and stabbed her in the back. Yeah. People say if if Monica hadn't been bending down, she could have been paralyzed. Mm. And the reason he did it is he wanted Steffi to be back on top. And he got what he wanted. That fan, because he said, I wasn't trying to kill her, only got two years probation, no jail time. Oh my God. And in that time where Monica was on the men's, not only lost her father then, but also just dealing with mental issues, Steffi won six more majors. Now, Monica did come back, win one more major to make it nine, but it was never really the same player. And yeah, you can play revisionist history, but you never expect someone to get taken out of that game by a crazed fan. That preceded the Malice in the Palace. That was in the early 90s. But there's a reason where this fandom gets mm. above and beyond. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're a part of that team where as a fantasy owner, I live and die with whether or not that guy got his sixth catch because yeah. I get the half point bonus. Yeah. Credit that assist. That was an assist. That was an assist, but this is on the NBA. And I do think it's on the NBA. It's on the owners. So I really appreciate what the new ownership at the Utah jazz have done to expel, to make sure that those fans will never be back in the arena. I do appreciate what the NBA slightly has done, but, but we need to, do everything you can to protect the players. Mm-hmm. We, want, we want the fans to be close to the action, but I don't ever want to go back to a Monica Sellis moment. And we know that when things can go wrong, what happened to the malice in the palace? I don't think we're there. As you said, we have players now who will jaw, but aren't looking to fight. 
but we got to get the fans under control because we don't own the players. We're just a part of the experience. Yeah. All right, and then the the emotional work that we all clearly need to do. Part of why this podcast exists is that sports can bring us solace. That's what was happening in the height of pandemic when we first started recording these shows. It does help us work on ourselves and find relief and cope with the very difficult times that we're living in, but can also break bad and tap into the, the dangerous side of mob mentality as we're back in aggregate settings. Hopefully folks can keep their act together. I also think just with our training around social distancing right now, I feel like the types of interactions have tended to be distant, but the scary one was the the guy running onto the court in, yeah. in Washington and credit to security in DC that he was taken out fast. There were a lot of good, comments good about the, the Washington football club should probably hire that cop, <laughs> not to even mention the, the Capitol police, which is a whole nother story, but it, it's a scary time on, on that front too, where looking at the malice in the palace did trigger me a bit to January 6th and the Capitol riot where when order breaks, things can get dangerous, chaotic, and mob oriented. I think we're safer post-COVID now, generally, that the way in which security can lock down is much stronger than it was, say, in Auburn Hills back in 2004. But your point about people who break bad and have bad boundaries and have just a fundamental disrespect for the athletes who are really performing for everyone, but not really in a sense of being yours, someone who's performing for you. You say that, but... PGA Championship, clear out to Phil Mickelson. Did you see the 18th green, the last hole? Yeah. It was like a mosh pit. Yeah. And the seven guys the PGA had holding a little rope as Brooks and Phil were bum rushed. Yeah. Brooks' caddy got jacked in the face. Mm. Brooks said he got jammed in the knee a couple times. Yeah, yeah. So we we say that, but we're not prepared. Mm -hmm. And that just goes back to we're all locked up. We're not around other people, but to yeah. feel like you have a part of that person because you root for them and you want yeah. to get close, that, that's something we have to grapple with. And, yeah, and it, I do think most sporting events have to actually err on the side of caution mm -hmm. because I do think they get caught off guard. Yeah. Yeah. It's some interesting stuff. It does bring to mind some thoughts about how to lead and how to manage folks who are feeling vulnerable, who are under stress, under attack, where to be respectful of rising generations, vulnerabilities, and try to empathize with the players or the people who are working for you. Before we wrap, Tarlin, any concluding thoughts on this? I celebrated the Lakers' victory last year and knew that it was going to be a challenge to repeat. So as a Lakers fan... I am officially on the Suns bandwagon. Mm -hmm. Devin Booker is a beast and I'm willing to lick my wounds for one more year, but don't give up on the Lakers, all you haters. Yeah, and uh, be on the lookout for generational passing of the torch in the NBA. That'll be a show that we'll cover in the future. Thanks uh, for a double dip. I think we did well, Tarlin. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed it. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out at runningitback.fm. 
follow us at running it back fm on twitter we'll be back again soon this is running it back mm-hmm.